Hello, this is Eddie Cohn, creator and host of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. And we're going to dive into... Harper, what's your last name? I mean, I know your last name, but how do you pronounce it? Batorowitz. Batorowitz. Mm-hmm. So we're going to... Bator, Harper Batorowitz. Yeah. We're going to dive into the interview with Harper very soon. I've been listening to more podcasts recently. I've never listened to podcasts before. And every time I listen to them, they're always advertising that they should pe- uh, their listeners should go onto Instagram or Twitter or iTunes and write a review about the podcast or the show. So I thought I would start out this week's episode, much like last week's, just to remind you, if you dig the show, um, go to iTunes, write a review. Tell your friends about it. I've got some amazing guests lined up um, for next year. And um, it seems like more and more people are really responding to the show. Um, I have noticed for the first time that some people seem to be scared to come on the show. So I'm really grateful that people are taking the time um, to talk to me and create conversation. So um, we'll be talking to, or I'll be talking to Harper really soon uh, after this little quick break. But just again, thanks so much for listening to the podcast, spreading the word, writing a review. Um, and this will actually be the last interview of the year. So this one's going to be six hours long to make up for the fact that there isn't one next week. I haven't told Harper that yet, but she's <laughs> oh, she's leaving now. So uh, I'm kidding. It'll probably be your normal length or so. But uh, we'll get into the interview soon. Welcome to week 15, or not week 15, episode 15 of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Uh, my name is Eddie, and I'm really excited to welcome Harper, say your last name again. Batorowitz. Batorowitz. <laughs> to- Batorowitz. <laughs> oh boy, I'm never going to be able to say that. To this week's podcast, as I just said, it will be the last podcast I'm recording for the year. And... Um, I want to obviously start off, we're going to get into the interview soon, but I just want to talk about why Harper's here and how I know her and what she's doing on the show. Um, Harper's a yoga teacher in Los Angeles. She teaches at Sweat right now. And I met Harper about a year and a half ago. Um, Maybe it was even two years ago at Create Yoga, this yoga studio in Santa Monica. Uh, At the time, I was DJing quite a bit of yoga classes and so they were doing this sort of first Friday, um, these first Friday events at Create, where there would be a DJ um, DJing the yoga classes. And um, I forgot the owner's name. Jen and... Uh, There's another... Marissa. Else. Marissa. Yeah. There we go. Marissa. Um, so she and I connected and she thought I should, you know, try DJing your class. And it ended up, it ended up being freaking amazing. It was super fun. And I really responded to your classes, and you obviously dug the music that I played. And, you know, we just, we stayed in touch. And I'm sort of in the midst of training at Sweat to start teaching there. And I come to find out like six months ago, or maybe it was a year ago, that uh, that you're teaching there. Mm-hmm. And you've actually been, um, you've been really helpful. And been really, you've been very, you've been sort of, um, 
not sort of, I don't know the word is mentor, but you've just been really, no, but you've been really helpful in giving me some good feedback on, on um, getting better at teaching and, and what sweat looks for and um, just getting in there. And, and, and I, I appreciate it. And it's really, not only do I appreciate you coming on the show, but I think more importantly, in just real life stuff, I really appreciate you um, become, helping me become sort of more aware of how to become a better yoga teacher. Yeah. Well, you know, we did those yoga classes. They were every single Friday, but I was fortunate only when I had you because I went through very, I went through a lot of bad DJs Yeah, (laughs) and, um, you had a skill. Like I knew that you, I didn't know you had done teacher training at that time, but I knew you had like a sense of everything because you'd slow down the music. You'd make it go louder. Um, but I mean, teaching at Sweat too is really just anywhere. It's just about yeah being confident and authentic. And I think that you have something special to bring to the table. So cool. You know. Well, I've always felt, <laughs> but I took a lot of yoga classes, and I'm so, I'm so into music that to me, music can actually I I don't know. I think the music is more important or just as important as the teacher. I just think. Music can enhance any space. I think I even have that set on my website or something. I really believe if the right song can make any moment better. And um, and obviously it goes with yoga. And I think I've stopped taking some classes from some people because I just think they're so clueless when it comes to music. And, and I, 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 it can. like You'll be in Shavasana and just the wrong song is going. Or you're flowing and it's it just it, it totally misses the mark. And I think... The thing I like about sweat yoga is that they really, where you're teaching now, mm-hmm. they value how important the music is. Yeah, it's very much about the culture and people come there specifically for having fresh music, but also throwbacks and different styles of music. Right. Um, yeah, it's really important to the sweat culture. Yeah. But I, I also think, too, um, you know, songs, they can compliment and and create the rhythm to the tones of the class right but they can also take you back to a memory and take mm. you out of the now yeah right there was a one song i used in a class and you know i'm definitely not saying i have the best 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 music um by any means but um there was one person who said oh when you played this one song it took me to the movie that it was in right and then i was like even though it was a good memory I kind of felt like, oh, crap, you know, because I took them from the now into that space of what was. Right. And that's exactly what I didn't want to do. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't control that, obviously, but it just made me more mindful of how much the music can affect the experience. Yeah. Now, do you have a musical background? Um, I mean, I played the recorder. Um, okay. No, I, I grew up playing the piano. Okay. Um, my younger brother played the drums, and so of course I I like to bang on them. Yeah. Um, and I learned one of my private clients now is an amazing musician. Okay. And uh, he taught me how to play the guitar. I have a little baby guitar, but I wouldn't say I can play the guitar. Right. I know chords. Um, but music, obviously. I mean, you know, Marissa just threw me into your class mm-hmm. to DJ it. <clears throat> And, I mean, there's a lot of trust there. And there's also, I just, a good DJ, a good yoga teacher is hyper aware of the room. Mm-hmm. And it's not about them. 
And so I tried to, I brought that to the table and I could tell that, you know, right away when class was over, we were just like, holy shit, that was really, that was really something special. Yeah. I, I mean, just made, and that's the thing. I mean, I just to stay on the track of music, but I want to compliment you also. There was something about your class that does, that did just because I was DJing, but still now, cause I've taken your class recently where, I mean, sure. The music is really important, but I could, you actually guide people through these long meditations in the end of, end of class where you're, you're going through these, um, very vivid, almost dreamlike landscape visions of, of, of guiding people through this meditative state at the end of class. And I, I mean, I don't know how you do it. But, but try to explain what you, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. So what, yeah. what are you, what are you thinking and how has that all come into play and, and why has that become such a part of your class? Um, because it's a gift. Um, visualizations are something that I've done since I was little hmm. and that's kind of how I got into hypnosis. Um, it's also what helped me heal during, um, a time in my life when I got really sick and visualizations the practice of visualizing helped it helped me through sports um yeah so sorry what was the question again no like, just well, guide you through i what? mean like I, when i teach and most 99 percent of the classes that i i have this really funny way of asking a question but not really asking a question so I, i'll try to be a little no, more clear no i think clear. there was a direct there was question. but no but when i teach in most of the classes that i go to as a student Typically, you're lying in Shavasana, might hear a song, the teacher might say a couple things, and that's, that's it, which there's something wrong with that. That's just sort of, that's just what it is. But your end of class, the 10 minutes, I mean, there's like a very specific section that was um, devoted to Shavasana, meditation, and instead of just having people sitting there listening to music, I mean... I, you actually are taking people on this sort of visual journey. Right. So that was part of that class specifically. It was Friday night high. So half of it was 40 minutes of me kind of creating that dynamic flow, mm -hmm. which hopefully I had the beats to kind of match and motivate sure. with, um, which you did a great job at. And then the last 20 minutes were basically a guided meditation. So... Um, I would lead you through a visualization of relaxation. Um, sometimes I would plan things and other times I would just kind of hear where I needed to go and I would go there. I mean, I mean obviously you didn't have a script because I'm watching you. You're not right. holding paper in your hand. But I mean, I have a hard time, <clears throat> even during a podcast, like I've already forgotten your last name. <laughs> like when I'm in the moment of something, though, it, it's just it's something that I've noticed recently over the last few months doing a podcast. Like it's really challenging for my brain to think back to a memory while I'm actually, I guess, recording and talking to somebody. Because it's not possible. You Would, can't multitask. Your brain never multitasks ever. Well, you're switching from it's how fast you can rapidly switch from one thing to another. Hmm. People can't multitask. But the irony is that that's all we're doing now with right. with our culture. Well, yeah, because we live in this culture of fast, quick, and easy. Wait, I know we're going to... I know we're this gonna, is why I do the visualizations. There you go. I'll bring it back. Yeah, because I know we're going to talk about our culture now. But okay, so but my my point was is that you don't have a script. You're saying these long, detailed descriptions of visualizations. How, 
how are you doing that? How are you remembering it? I'm not remembering. You're really stoned or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Um, That's why it was called Friday Night Night. No, No. but I was just blown away. Um, Because I go there. I go, I I actively go to where I'm taking you. Hmm. And I go with the energy. And I feel like if people need to go up and they need energy lifted, I usually will bring you higher into a sky or climb a tree or take you on a cloud, things like that, mountains. Right. If I feel like the room is really tamasic or or needs to be more settled and grounded, I'm probably going to take you more into an earthy scene. Um, but I, I feed off of the energy of the room. I Sometimes I know where I'm going or I know the theme that I really want to tie in. Hmm. Others I'm going and I'm like, I feel like they need something different. Yeah. But ultimately I'm coming from a place of love and I... I feel like that's just a gift that I was given with the visualizations and being able to use my voice, the tones in my voice to relax people. Yeah. And to kind of like put you at ease, know that you're in a safe space. It's okay to be with your true self instead of wearing all these masks that I know we all have to do growing up just to survive. And Mm. then you kind of forget to take them off and actually be who you are. Um, Well, that's a beautiful positive objective way at looking at what's going on right now because that's what we're always doing we're always putting on masks but we're doing that because in a weird sort of way life feels easier that way i mean that's why i started yoga it was the only time when i was 13 that I didn't have to please the popular girls, that I didn't have to please my ballet instructor or my parents or, you know, make a better grade, be the best at that sport. It was like the time that I felt the most me. And I carried that through the rest of my life. And it helped Mm. me in middle school and high school. And that's why the mental element of yoga is so important to me. And the visualizations kind of play off of that because it's like a cat in a laser. You can distract someone enough to relax them and let allow them to be in the moment holding on to the voice to the every word right enough that they can just be who they are and and let go yeah and then wherever they go when i set them free or whatever intention they put in they're gonna go off on that and if for that you know few moments those 20 minutes it's them realizing that I can relax because I hear so many times, oh, I can't meditate. Oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. But if I'm able to take you on a journey visually and you can relax in those moments, then of course you can do it on your own. Wow. I think it's really, timing is always so interesting to me. My dad is meditating um, for the first time. Like he's almost 80. Like the last couple of weeks, he's just started meditating and I'm sure he's listening, or he will listen. And I'm sure he could he could hear how and understand how actually that power of being able to visualize could be life um, altering. Yeah, I and mean, it's always a choice. Yeah, it's it's weird though. It doesn't feel like that for me sometimes. Like I don't feel like I have that power to change my decision-making or my frame of mind. Um, I feel like I'm helpless. 
because I mean, I grew up in a family of lots of anxiety, <clears throat> had lots of health issues as a kid. And I feel like, although it's maintained really well now through lots of Medicaid, no, I don't, I'm not on <laughs> medication. Um, no, but I feel like I've gotten older and my practice has gotten better. And I, I, but I still struggle with it. Just not, not trusting that everything's going to be okay. Right. Well, that, I mean, do you know what I'm hard. talking about? Yeah. I mean, I question the process all the time, but I think that the fact that I'm questioning it makes me realize that I'm awake. Right. Wow. I don't know. I'm just blown away. <laughs> no, but I feel sometimes insecure that I'm questioning our society and Instagram and our priorities. And I'm wondering if I'm doing, <clears throat> if I'm being negative or if I'm, because I think our culture, we're becoming robots. Mm-hmm. We're all doing the same fucking thing. I mean, we're not, right? but we kind of are. And I love that me questioning is what you just, you just have the most amazing description of like questioning. It means that you're awake. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, because I think, and I don't want to be like the government because you know, who knows who's listening, but um, I think that's kind of like why our society is robotic because we have all the medications you have all the things that are in foods, the steroids. Um, you have all the BS that's in the packaging that's the food is in. Mm-hmm. Um, those all affect your body, right? Yeah. Your gut health affects your mental health. Um, the music that you listen to, we already talked about music. That affects you. The The vibrations that the music, A432 is the sounds of the universe. A440 is what the music is set at right now. So that naturally puts your... Um, body and fight or flight situations. What, what do you mean A442? What are you talking about? So I'm going to completely butcher this one because I'm not in music. Yeah, but, um, just, and here I am in music and I have no idea what you're talking about. There, And I'm going to forget his name right now. There's this amazing sound healer. Um, he was doing binaural, binaural beats. Um, he explained how the sounds of the universe is in A432. Okay. And back in 1955, there was an international committee that was founded and basically changed the vibrations that music or the instruments or the electronic stuff is set at to A440. So that naturally creates a fight or flight situation in your chakras. And so essentially, um, heavy metal was never around before 1955. It came after. Okay. Mosh pits. Um, it also kind of explains like more of the anxiety, the road rage, things like that. That can it depends on what you listen to in the car. Hmm. And then he also had said that the Beatles um, they continued to play in A four thirty two classical music. That's also why like if you put um, like people can learn better to classical music. Right. But I mean, how many people do you know that actually listen to classical music? It's almost like how many people do you know that read books? I read the fact that like CEOs read three to four books a month and right. the average person doesn't even read three books a year. Right. My mom was a librarian. I read a F ton of books. Right. You know, I'm reading all the time. Sure. But yeah, I think like everything that our culture is kind of perpetuating at us is to make us dumber. Totally. So we don't question things. We don't anymore. And I think the Instagram stories are, you know, the Instagram is like, um, to me, I would get frustrated because I, 
it, it is stupid. Personally, I got an Instagram because I love the photos and my Instagram started as like my dog photos with like glasses mm-hmm. on and my garden, my, my bell peppers that I, of course, those are all archived now, so you cannot find them. Sure. Now we <laughs> That's only... the beauty of Instagram right. now, right? You don't have to see all my old like Blackberry quality photos. Right. Um, but um, I, th- I think that like, I liked the photos. I liked not having to read the words because Facebook was getting depressing. Like, I don't know. I had a lot of people that were going through some suffering. For yeah, sure, and they're mentally, actually and posting then they post it. About I know, it. it was crazy. And I'm like, whoa, you're pouring your suffering onto me. But then like, I started I thinking, what this? kind of person is actually, their life is filled with such a level of void that they're actually more comfortable letting go on a social media platform than actually going to a best friend or a therapist and trying to find comfort that way. Because those people don't know true self-love. Yeah. You know, and you can't even blame them because it's like most people, the time that like our parents were around was during like World War II and, and things like that, where it was kind of survival and this kind of goes into like more of the hypnotherapy background, but like if they didn't know what self was love was, they can't really teach you what self love is. Right. And so you really have to go through like a big struggle in order to know self love or you had to have been taught that. Yeah. And so when you don't know self love, you seek attention in weird ways. And social media is one of those things. And For me, I had to reflect on myself because it's always like, you know, that person that's really annoying to you and no one else kind of sees it or sometimes they do, but you're, it just annoys you a little bit more. Well, yeah, because I feel like we're able to see right through it and it's like, how are other people not seeing it? Right. Or it's the situation of like, you might also be doing that, Mm. you know, like sometimes you pick up on like annoying habits because you also do it and it's a little annoying. Right. Well, for me, I realized that like, Instagram bothers me only because I don't really know how to do it. <laughs> like, like I think it, it, I haven't conquered Instagram. I haven't changed my mindset to make it a business platform. Well, why are, how are you using, it's, how are you using Instagram right now? What do you mean? Like you haven't, why do you need to figure it out? First of all? Well, I think it's a game. Totally I mean, a game. you know, and I, I don't know the rules of the game. And so for me, if I ever find myself getting frustrated with Instagram, I realize like, okay, like, that's out of my control. I can't get upset about that. And if people are doing great because they're being superficial, the people following them are, are probably vibrating on... I can't even say that because there's definitely people I've been following that I meet in real life and I'm like, whoa, I've unfollowed you now. Like, only because yeah. you are not living your truth. Like, you might be able to do things incredibly or you might be able to, like, adequately write things, but, like... Your energy is not there yet. Yeah. Well, and, well, I've said this on a lot of podcasts. I mean, it's really easy to pretend to have your shit together. And it's really easy to have all the answers and post spiritual quotes from Rumi or, you know, uh, say something that's inspiring coupled with this amazing photo on a beach. The problem is, is that people are hiding behind that. They're not really living that way in real life. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's just trickery because people are actually thinking that this person is that way. Sure. It's it's so on so many levels. It's in my opinion disruptive and and corrupted. Corrupt. It, it's it's 
is the word corruptive or corrupted? Suddenly I'm forgetting. Um, it's. But if it wasn't Instagram, it would have been Facebook. It was. Well, it is. Facebook. It was MySpace. Yeah. It was. You know. I mean, there's always been these distractions since the internet. I just think this is leading to something that I want to read. We're kind of getting there, but I've said it before. I do think Instagram is just on a whole other level with this kind of disruption, distraction, corruption, uh, manipulation. And, and, the, and because it's just photos and it's so quick, it's, it's causing our brains to only be enticed or um, it, our brain is only reacting to like pretty or fast or sexy or uh, well yes and no but i mean advertisements sex is always sold totally but now our friends and it now it's it i understand that like now it's accessible to anybody anybody is and now and now everybody is acting like they're nike or something or like forever 21 everybody has to yeah i mean pose on a it's crazy i think it's funny because like i modeled professionally and i remember being 15 years old in the streets of milan italy like running my ass around in stiletto pumps like the first couple weeks and getting horrible blisters and like walking into a a department store and like having not leaving until i bought a pair of shoes that i could like run around the city in and learning my lesson the hard way because i like no models go on castings with heels on but I mean, but now yeah, everybody's a supermodel, for sure. Yeah, everybody is. <laughs> for sure, for well, sure. I want to talk... <clears throat> so I'm reading this book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Ooh. Yeah, it's really interesting. Well, basically, I want to read something, but I'm not going to... I got into this section where there is more depression, more suicide and addiction than ever. And it's, they give all these examples of how it completely correlates to social media usage mm-hmm. and cell phone usage. And then it goes on to say that women, primarily younger women, are dealing with these repercussions or effects more so than men. Mm-hmm. And it, they've never, it's never been at this level before. And it's completely correlated to, and they're even talking about it being Instagram. Mm-hmm. And um, you grew up, I, I didn't know, you were a model. Mm-hmm. And you know the photos that you post on Instagram are sometimes pretty revealing. Mm-hmm. I have noticed recently that you're posting more sort of like casual, um, just like hiking somewhere. Uh, but for quite a while, there were, they were there definitely was this sex... Mm-hmm. Um, appeal going on and and this is why I've had issues with aloe yoga and a lot of sort of the the quote unquote models because I do think although we're thinking about our brand or this image in uh, uh, this guy that was on a couple weeks ago talked about Instagram sort of just being like a storefront sure which I which is a great analogy but and this is why I'm so apprehensive about what's going on with our culture and Instagram. I do think psychologically underneath the layer of just posting these pretty photos, I do think it is making people really insecure, specifically women. Yeah. So knowing that, 
but you also want to portray a a certain image on your Instagram, how are you juggling? And you're obviously very aware. Right. And you're very sensitive. So how do you know when to post photos that are very revealing, when not to? Do you care? I mean, are you conscious of what you're doing with your Instagram? I mean, I post what calls to me, and usually what I'm posting is dealing with what's going on in my life. Right. If a guy ghosted me, yeah, that's right. That happens. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm probably posting that I put my heart in the wrong hands, and it might be a more vulnerable, like, heart opener post, for sure. But anything I'm posting is always stuff that I'm going through. Right. Um, As far as the images go, I've been in belly tops since I was a baby. Yeah. My mom raised me in belly tops. I looked like a little Shirley Temple. And um, fashion and, like, looks have always been... I I was blessed, like, for sure. I'm not going to say I'm, like, a horrible-looking person, but I do have good genetics. I have a lot of people that will come to my classes because they want to have my body. And I make jokes because it's partly genetic. Sure. It's partly what I do. And it's partly how I've been living since I was younger. I've I've never had meat in my life. Um, And I'm proud of the way I look. Do I necessarily want to be throwing it down people's faces? No, but at the same time, like, I have the right to express myself the way I choose to, and I've been doing since I was younger. I played yeah. in the laundry football league, which was a professional football league. You probably didn't know that either. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? I was running around playing full tackle football in a bra and panties. So for me, posting anything on Instagram, and that was on MTV. Like, yeah. um, it's. If I'm choosing to reveal to reveal myself, I'm also revealing my heart and like my soul in that. Right. I do understand that people, there are definitely people, 100%, that are a little bit more narcissistic or um, superficial as far as like with their posts and their images. But it does create, and on the one hand... But you, I grew up with ads. Like you're always looking at ads, always, magazines, Yeah, catalogs. but now everybody sort of has to advertise. Everybody's using Instagram to advertise something now, and it... And it feels like everybody has to advertise a good-looking photo of themselves to compete with everybody who always looks really good. And, and When have you ever seen an ad where there were shitty-looking photos? You're right. You know, but now there's way more of them. Way more of them. But this, totally is, but this is the point. I mean, I get when, like, Nike or whoever yeah. is a big company is doing that. But individually, we're all doing it now also. And it's just sort of crazy. We are now... Only posting happy photos, which I I understand, but sadly, it's actually creating more depression and anxiety in our culture because people, it's really, it's hard to be happy. It takes work. You have to question the people who are on the internet so much that they're only relying on, like, there's another problem in itself. It's not necessarily the people that are putting their happy images out there. It's the people who are choosing to sit on in, on Instagram and only use those as real life and not experience life to its fullest. Well, I think it's both. And I mean, for sure, completely. there's always a give and take. Yeah, but, but it's definitely not solving one problem isn't going to take away something from the other side. You know, those people are still going to be looking for something. And if it wasn't yeah. Instagram right now, it was probably alcohol. Yeah, that's in another fair. generation, it was. You know, so. I just think that like addictions are what our country was made upon. Right. And like 
whether it's Instagram or it's porn or it's fitness, everybody has an addiction. Yeah. And it's whether or not you can choose to manage it. Sometimes I don't know if we have the brain power or the willpower to do that anymore because we now have these TVs basically in our pockets now. And I mean, I, I'm really good. I'm writing this book. It's almost done. And the reason why I've been able to get it done is because I am so the amount of discipline it takes to control yourself and not go down the rabbit hole of insanity of your phone and Instagram. Mm -hmm. I mean, sure, we all have that choice and that power, but it is so freaking hard because you have that thing that's just beeping and buzzing. And so, but how do you feel when you conquer it? When you've written your book? I mean, I feel freaking awesome. Right? Yeah. Well, this is, I'm, so I want to read this, which okay. this is from that, uh, the book. <clears throat> I already forgot what it's called. <laughs> See, I'm, I can't multitask. The Coddling of the American Mind. The thought processes that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? And that means that we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or post or whatever. And that's going to get you to contribute more content. And that's going to get you more likes and comments. It's a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because, because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. You know, it's Bravo. one of my friend. One of my friends was getting upset that you know he thinks that I'm negative about Instagram and and like oh you use Instagram. I use Instagram. I would be an idiot if I didn't use Instagram. And I'm also, I have the discipline and the control, and I also have a passion. I'm artistic. I'm creative. You know, I have something that I want to accomplish with my life. But a lot of people don't, and so. You have this freaking phone in your pocket and these companies like Netflix, Facebook, and Instagram, who, just like this quote said, they are out. They want you on that thing all day. And, you know, at least the cigarette industry, although it's addictive, at least they're not pounding it over your, over your head. Well, because... Over time, the addictions have had to, got to become stronger, right? And so now Instagram is like the strongest addiction. I I was fascinated by what I took a lot of prescription medication mm-hmm. as a kid because I was so sick which is why I can't stand the thought of, of like doing those hard drugs mm-hmm. but I was interested in why somebody would be in that place where they felt like they had to take um, I mean I can understand marijuana <clears throat> especially here in LA but to be in a place or a space where you're relying on cocaine or heroin or meth to get through your day. Right. And I mean, obviously, it's, it's just life is really freaking hard. And so I, I don't place judgment on them at all. I'm, I sympathize with them because if you don't have a support system, if you don't have a passion, if you don't have discipline, uh, a goal, you want to write a book or graduate from college, I mean, life is just... I guess before it didn't feel like the distract the, the, the distractions are just 
even ever, just they're just more powerful and more around us than ever before. For sure. For 100% for sure. And I'm on the same boat, like you reading that quote or summarizing that book kind of just reminds me that I am still a part of what I'm fighting, um, you know, sure. it, against in that sense. But it would be dumb for me not to be on Instagram. I actually told one of my friends the other day, I think I'm going to go off Instagram for the month of December. I mean, this was obviously in November. Right. And she was like, oh my gosh, Harper, you can't. There's no, you can't. It's too important to you, to yoga. Um, the thing is, is without aloe, I would still be posting those photos. I posted them before, before, um, just on Facebook. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, and I think that's the one thing that you guys have to recognize with the whole aloe yoga thing is like part of what you're hating or not liking is that those people were doing those things before aloe sponsored them. Mm-hmm. They're sponsored athletes now. And not every athlete that's on the field in football or this or that is the most enlightened person. And I get it because yoga is supposed to be that journey. Sure. But like um, everybody's on their own path. I just think there's deceitful behavior going on. Right. But, but I mean, we're all... you're going to get that with every company. No, you're you really right. are. But I just wish... I mean, do you think I'm hating on aloe yoga when I talk about what they're doing? I do feel like there's a little bit of like specific, like unhappiness pointed in their direction. Right. You know, specifically on the one podcast that I did listen to. Right. And I think it's a little bit unwarranted and unfair, but I understand there's always going to be different points of view. They do have extra larges. The closes are also super vanity. Um. And they've offered me so much elevation as far as like confidence wise and with my voice and my teaching. So you work, which has been a great. I also teach at Aloe. Yeah, like so Aloe is primarily well, how have they been? How have they helped you out? And how did you? And how did they come up to you? Or how did that relationship start? Um, well, they came up to me asking about. I think I had posted a couple photos last summer, just in like goddess leggings that were colored. And I came in talking about clothes, and then I ended up talking to them about hypnosis and more mindfulness meditation. Wait, I, did you like tag them in a photo, and then they reached out to you, or did you like go to their store and like? Yeah, I tagged. I mean, at that point, I think I was tagging everybody, you know, sure. in photos. But you were doing that to try to get somebody to pay attention to you. I think that's kind of how the game. You know, not the. I didn't know what was going to happen from that. I was just right. tagging photos, like I saw okay. everybody else tagging. But I've seen other, you know younger, attractive yoga teachers tagging aloe yoga. Sure. But they're not doing it because they're repped by them. They're doing it because they're hoping aloe thinks right. they're... Well, I mean, I tag via Spigo, and I'm like, get me some more boots, you know? <laughs> like, right, sure. I think that anyone... We live, in the, we live in the society of fast, quick, and easy. And sometimes you can get caught up in the... Um, if it comes really easy, then, like, it's good, but... You know, you still have to work at it. Yeah. But what I think Aloe saw in me was nothing that was instant, right? It's all things that I've been working toward for the last, I don't know, I'm 34. So started at Baby Harper. Sure. Um, And I think they saw more in me than I even saw in myself, which sometimes I think, you know, you don't always see the light in yourself, right? Right. Well, what did they do specifically, or can you even say where, where you feel as though you went from pre-allo place to how are you a different person since I'm um, working with them? 
I mean, I don't necessarily, well, I definitely would say I'm, I'm different because I'm hoping to change every year, but, um, they gave me mindful masters to start, um, which was incredible. Um, I started their meditation program that okay. they're going to be putting in all of their studio stores which was the biggest gift of all. And the reason they gave that to me was because of the first thing that you talked to me about, hmm. my visualizations. Yeah. Right? So they recognized a talent that I had. And although I was already doing it, when they gave me that platform and then like was posting it as well, just knowing how many people follow, I was getting messages from more people than, had, than I had before, for hmm. sure. And um, it shows you the power of like, a voice and yeah when you do have um a large following you can promote positive messages and i think that all rivers lead to the ocean and everybody is on these different vibrations and so you're going to see some aloe yogis that you're going to attract and like connect with like i would hope that we connect yeah and i'm not sponsored but i do teach at all three of their los angeles studios and i teach a lot at aloe so why are you a what's the difference between teaching and then actually being sponsored how why are you not sponsored yet you teach there at three studios i think it's just different like i'm not a social media influencer okay i wouldn't say like that's not necessarily my goal right um but they still need people that may not be social media influencers but still represent something in like i'm not traveling all over the world doing workshops yet right you know that's obviously something i want to manifest but i I enjoy having classes every week here. I in that the sangha is one of the things that I love about yoga so much is the community. Yeah. And so, you know, I have Saturday Sunday morning classes at Allo at the Beverly Hills store, which is awesome. It's their flagship store. It's a beautiful location. And I'm getting like, you know, full classes and people that didn't know each other are like checking in with each other. Hey, where were you at? Because it's still intimate enough that you can recognize that. Right. And it's really cool to see the create the the community that's being created, and there are people that like a young girl that follows me from every single studio, and an older woman who brings her daughter, and they the woman and her they both work at Cedar Sinai, and they have like conversations about it. Right? right. It's kind of cool. It's one of the things I love about sweat with the community. But I mean, that's part of what yoga is. And even though you know you can look at it in so many ways like aloe has created a pretty cool online community of support hmm. you can also find the darkness too but you can find that in any in any company i think some of aloe's photos are so inspiring that they've sparked other people to start yoga for whatever purpose that is and hopefully when they go to classes they get skilled teachers who can navigate them through their process and hold space for them really right and allow them to take their journey a little bit deeper, even if it was just a handstand, because they saw Andrew Seeley handstanding dangerously on a cliff, which is ridiculous, like yeah. playing with God right there. But like, that's something he chooses to do. And he would do it without aloe, you know? Yeah, sure. I like, just, again, I, I think everything you're saying is pretty inspiring and beautiful. And I'm able to look at it in a, in a different way. But yes, it but does I, cause but depression. When I, and but when I see a company primarily, it feels like over 90, 95% of the time, posting these over-the-top, perfectly filtered, or even, it doesn't even matter, just the, the, the perfection that they're posting, 
and the quote unquote inspiration. Sure. I mean, that could be argued if it's what's it really inspiring and what is Andrew Seeley inspiring by holding handstand literally on the side of the building at the Grove? I mean, I don't. I think he did get in trouble for that one. I don't think Gallo approved that. I think yeah. he just did that. But I just, but I don't know. I, and it's easy to hide behind we're inspiring. I don't know what that's inspiring. Although you just gave a really beautiful story about, I would love to see stories of, of, of normal quote unquote people, you know, connecting, meeting each other, talking like those, like a hug where these right. people like from Cedars are coming together because they love to see you and the, and the, and the smile that you bring, like that stuff but, is real. But then you get into like exploiting people's like vulnerability because like that's their experience and it's not supposed to be cultivated for, in- for Instagram. Right. right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe they would approve it. Like these people yeah, like, hey, we just like this amazing. Don't you feel like that's a little bit like. I mean, yeah, you know? I guess. But but also I heard this one story um, <clears throat> which made me look at Instagram a little differently or like an analogy, I guess. Like there's a dance studio and it wasn't really getting any people because like it looked kind of secret and you couldn't see inside. Mm-hmm. And then once they put a giant glass window and people could actually look in and see what was happening, it got so much more attention and busy right. because people actually knew what was happening in there. And I think that like, you know, Instagram in a way has pushed me to practice a little differently because I'll say I started at 13, I'm 34. My practice is legal in the United States at this point, 21 years, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say that, you know, I would say I have a strong practice, but like maybe you could reach my practice without practicing for 21 years. Right. But I didn't really go upside down more than a traditional headstand until like, you know, maybe when I was 26, 27, like when I took my teacher training, partly because of Instagram, because I thought to myself, you know what, I'm only taking level one, level two classes I wasn't trying, again, wasn't for physical exercise. That was just in my mental space to like come back to who I was. Right. And then I thought to myself, how can I challenge my body? Because like, where do you really know your limits if you never push them? Yeah, I I agree with you. But I, I think when you're only advertising sex primarily and the, um, extreme, of the practice, because I always thought people practiced yoga for stillness, to quiet the mind, to be able to sit still and connect with who you really are. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I mean, that's not sexy. There, um, there's nothing really Instagram worthy of that. So much like our culture, they're promoting sex and I, extreme. I think you're going to see what they're promoting change now that they have your attention but i think they've but now that they have your attention because they can't really make those waves without it that's very true you know what i mean completely but they're also doing that's what our but that's what our cultures become people are working on getting your attention before quality but I think culture has always been like that. If you look at like the Trojan horse, when the giant gift was given and then everybody came out and killed everybody, like, right. like they were, they were dazzled by the shiny. Yeah. That's how it, that's how it's always been. I, for whatever reason, it feels so much more extreme now. Yeah. Because everything is connected and it's, 
it's brutally aware that it's connected because you have it in front of you on screens for and, sure. And I, I mean, I just, I was talking to a friend a, a couple of weeks ago. I just, I don't think bands like Led Zeppelin, Coldplay, where you're just like in a room, no distractions. You just like have your alcohol, your drugs, and you're just your instruments. And you're just, I think people are, oh, we need to Instagram this, or we need to look good, or we need to make sure our clothes look good, or we look sexy, or everybody's only posting primarily this perfection, this perfect world. And I get that Allo Yoga or Nike. And the only reason I brought up Allo Yoga is because I had people that work there for Allo Yoga. And sure. I, and, but to me, the- what they're doing is representing what our whole culture is doing. And I feel it's great to hear your story of those people meeting each other at your class. I just feel like Allo mm-hmm. could take that moment yeah. And make it so much bigger. But maybe they're in the process of doing that. And I mean, I think that's why the Mindful Masters program was such a gift to be able to start that. And now they have sound healing, free sound healing mm-hmm. events, right? You don't even have to pay for that. And I think that's pretty cool. And they are working with schools. They're doing a lot. And they do advertise about it. They yeah. actually They do. Okay. And they have um, Aloe Gives out in India. I, I actually have a client, again, with Aloe. She invited me to be in her wedding in India, right? All because she saw the Aloe Gives card and it said Bangalore, India. And she was like, Harper, this is where I'm from. Wow. And I mean, she started crying. Like that can happen at any studio for sure. But like there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of good that happens in those studios that Aloe is doing. And it's not all cultivated on Instagram. Right. For sure. Yeah. But I do understand how like the Instagram culture, not just Aloe, but like any big company, any advertisement, like Look, to they, me, advertising is a really, really tricky, tricky thing. And it's really important because, and it has to, but advertising is all fake. Like you, you can read nutritional boxes that say this has zero fat and like you, it, it doesn't like it actually does have fat. Like it's all the marketing. Maybe it's marketing, sure. advertisement market, like that yeah. whole industry. I feel like kind of has like evolved into a different monster yeah personally yeah (laughs) it's okay well the manipulation factor has gone to an all-time high i mean even this book talks about it i mean we're um we're and that we're being manipulated now Mm -hmm. more so than ever and it's that's why i just that's why to bring it back first of all i I hope that when you, I mean, obviously you didn't hate me because no, I don't hate you you're on my show I just, now. I wanted to clarify how I feel. No, about and I'm glad you did. Yeah. I'm glad you're here. You're like, okay, I can leave now. So I'm going <laughs> to no. go. We're going to um, talk about hypnosis and meditation. I know. I want to talk about, well, just two things. And I, I just think we could all be doing more. And the, I love what you said back to the beginning. We're becoming robotic and everybody is doing the same thing. And if somebody questions or creates conversations, they're called negative or a hater. And I mean, I could see why you were labeling, not, I don't say label, said that what I was doing was hating. I'm just questioning. And I'm trying to find, we are becoming a culture where we're not talking anymore. And if people have a different opinion than yours, people like freak out. They don't know how to deal with confrontation in a mature sort of way. And 
people can disagree and it's okay. And I love that you disagreed with me because I'm actually like, after hearing you out, my tune has changed. I still think we could be doing more. I still think they could be doing more. I think companies are Facebook, Netflix, our government, everybody is dying for your attention and they are willing to do just about anything to get it. And that doesn't just include aloe. That's like everybody. Yeah. And it, to what cost are we willing to keep acting that way? And now individually, we're even to, in, in order to compete, right. we are, everybody's taking their clothes off or every, so many people are trying to be extreme or be an influencer. And it's like, when does it end? When do we finally just say enough is enough? I think I think people are going to school. One of my friends works in marketing or advertising out in Chicago, and he said like there's kids that will come in with like their resumes, and they're like, oh, because I have so many followers on Instagram, like you should hire me. Like right. obviously I'm good at this. Yeah. And they're like, uh, where's your degree? <laughs> like, so yeah. I mean it is, but but I I think America is founded on addictions, like 100. Yeah. percent Like we're a culture. The fashion industry, 50, and, and, you know, yoga clothes is fashion for sure. Totally. 52 seasons out of the year, you know, because every week you're coming out with new clothes that you feel like you have to buy. And if you don't have the newest clothes, then you're not in style. And right. I mean, that's across the board, just being a fashion model for most of my life, you know, catalog. I made a living off of going in and putting on hundreds of outfits in a single session because the market was changing and I did that weekly, hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's always been around. And so for me, I guess maybe that's why sometimes I don't think about that element because that has been my life. And I understand my life isn't traditional for yeah. sure. I've done some eclectic things. But um, but it is it is sad to see like the online bullying or people not feeling worthy because there's definitely... Because of images that are being put out. Well, and the other thing this book talks about, we've also become a culture where like, we get attracted to bullying or calling people out on social media platforms because then other people will jump on board and create more sort of aggression. And then, then that person who's getting bullied just doesn't know. They have to like come out and tweet, I didn't mean that. It's just, it, right. it's become a display it's like it's like the world is a stage, literally, mm-hmm. and you have to be so careful what you're saying or doing, or else somebody's going to take it the wrong way. And that's why I've I've actually felt a little insecure about having conversations about things that I don't agree with because if people could call me an asshole, which I've been called, but I just think that we're becoming robotic, and I know how hard it is to not be that way. But if someone, like for us, that's healthy. It's healthy to like not agree on every single viewpoint because our perspectives are completely different. Yeah. We were raised differently, but it's unhealthy if we were unable to have a conversation about it. Like it doesn't have to be a fight. It doesn't have to end in like a F you, right? right? Or calling you an asshole. Like, and if you have a disagreement, and I think this is where the yoga comes in, you know, like you have to be the witness instead of living in the emotion like recognizing that you're feeling it 
but you don't need to react in it. Yeah. Right. So calling people names like you're, if I called you an asshole, I would be the suffering one. Hmm. Right. And so you would have to recognize that I'm suffering. And obviously, you know, you're not an asshole. So like, but people aren't, again, self-loving. And so when you don't love yourself, you can allow other people's opinions and viewpoints and fake images to distort how you feel about yourself. Well, I want to end this segment. No, and just compliment you. And then we'll move on. Thank you. Everything we've talked about is why I value the end of your class, the guided meditation. I'm in awe of because it's helping people connect with themselves and their inner voice. And that's just getting lost these days. So um, just a mad respect for you doing Thank that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So I do want to talk about, I mean, we've, I'm, normally I take, well, I take notes and I sort of have this direction of where the interview's going to go, but in this weird sort of way, you've just been really easy to move it along. It's like, I haven't even needed to look at my notes at all. It's just sort of effortlessly been moving forward, okay. but I do want to backtrack now. Um, just, a, just a little bit about your story and eventually we're going to, I want to end with meditation and hypnotherapy and sort of the current state of the physical obsession with yoga and less the spiritual, because I think those three things will all tie in pretty well together. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I want to backtrack. Where are you from? How did you end up in LA? And and you briefly touched on a little bit with yoga or how you got into it, Mm -hmm. but I just want to know a little bit more. And then your background, obviously with modeling, um, just maybe starting your, your teenage years. I mean, what, what, how did you get into modeling and what was, what was really um, exciting to you? And you started practicing yoga at the age of 13. So just bring where are you from? Michigan. I'm from okay. Michigan. Yeah. And what, what turned you on or what got you excited sort of in those teen, early twenties? What, what was really exciting to you? Um, so I grew up, I did Polynesian Tahitian dance, like Hawaiian, the hula, um, swinging poi balls, like everything traditional as far as that goes. I was always super intrigued by like island culture, Asian culture. Um, even when I was little, I just kind of really enjoyed um, like the teacups and the Asian fans and... Um, I don't mean that to sound weird at all, but I had like this weird obsession with dolls. You know, I was a very girly girl. Um, I grew up in an extremely loving family, like really well dynamic between my older brother, my younger brother. Um, My parents, super loving, never really fought in front of us. Um, My mom, though, she always kind of was like more into fashion. And so growing up... um, I tended to look like a little Shirley Temple. Okay. Uh, She would roll my hair in like foam rollers and stuff. So fashion was really important to me. And so I say that, which was the natural progression to like want to model. Yeah. Um, I mean, I started modeling like for catalog when I was little, like little bit under the age of 10. Okay. Um, And then I was in LA actually when I was 14 years old. 
Um, and I signed with an agency that within two weeks sent me to Italy. Wow. And I remember I had turned 15 and that was important because otherwise I would have needed a legal guardian to fly over with me. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first really big fight I ever heard my parents have was my dad saying, no way, no <laughs> way is our daughter going. And my mom's like, she has this opportunity. You have to let her go. Yeah. And, um, and I went and yeah, I got to do the whole run of the mill, like fashion scene in Milan. Um, but I mean, besides that, I was a normal kid. Like yeah. I, I grew up doing like every sport. Um, and I was always really good. Always the captain, very competitive. And I, I right. say that because I had this very competitive mindset had to be the best. Well, it's funny, you're feminine, but you do have that competitive spirit, which I don't want to say that's masculine because obviously women are competitive, but I do get the sense that being around your two brothers, Mm -hmm. that that sort of um, blended into your life. Yeah. And, And I mean, that's the thing. I do actually get told I'm very masculine all the time. And I used to feel like that was you know, offensive. Hmm. Um, but now I take it as that I'm balanced. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, sports were really important to me. I was always super athletic and I was always really in shape, Hmm. you know? Um, but body image was important to me because I grew tall when I was young. So I was taller than all the boys in seventh grade. I remember, and I played basketball and, um, they called me the beast and that was really, really impactful for me because it was something I would never have wanted to be called. Sure. And I grew like, I was five, seven in seventh grade. And then by eighth grade, all the guys were taller than me again, you know, but like that year kind of was torture and, um, and yeah, high school. I don't know. I mean, I still, I was a treasurer of student council. But you were still modeling through high school? I did, yeah. Okay. I modeled all throughout high school. Um, I would take little short trips and come back. Um, there like was actually, trips to Milan? Or just yeah. In, okay, wow. Um, so that Dallas, was... all over like the U.S., but yeah, international too. Okay. Because um, it started when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, and there was actually a time when I took so much time off that the school, because I used to do like mail correspondence mm-hmm. when I was like not there. Okay. And the school said that if I didn't come back, then I wouldn't be able to graduate. And so my dad made sure that my senior year of high school, like I didn't leave at all. And that was crucial for sports, um, but also to graduate. Um, I went to the University of Alabama. Okay. uh, Which was very interesting. How Um, did you end up there? Because um, I was looking to play tennis and I was actually going to go down to North Carolina And then I remember getting to North Carolina and no, South Carolina, South Carolina, because they were the Gamecocks. And I remember my mom being like, (laughs) you're going to be a Gamecock. (laughs) No way. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, uh, and so Alabama was like the first school on the list. And we drove over to look at that campus and I just fell in love. It was beautiful. They have such a traditional, like Southern campus, um, double, staircase going up. I joined a sorority, Mm -hmm. um, completely out of my element, completely. I mean, they called me the skanky Yankee as a mean name (laughs) and Yankee being a derogatory term, you know? And I used to get drunk and go, who won the war? (laughs) 
<laughs> because I was like, really? But it was ridiculous. It opened my eyes to American culture in a different way. Yeah. And I don't mean disrespect to anyone from Alabama or, um, you know, any of my sorority sisters or people that I went to school with because it 100%, I grew so much from that experience, but I definitely spent a sum, um, more than a summer abroad. Like, uh, I went to France because Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to finish out all of my years, um, in Alabama. Yeah. I studied dietetics. So I have a bachelor's of science degree in nutrition, um, which I think comes into play a lot when it comes to yoga, because I actually dissected cadavers. Mm. You had to look at all the muscles and bones inside bodies. Um, I did all the courses prerequisite for like, if I was going to go to med school, um, which I actually full circle just decided two days ago that um, I'm going back to school to get my master's and then doctorate in Chinese medicine. So it kind of is cool to see how like my nutrition degree is like now tying into like being an herbalist. Hmm. Um, But after Alabama, I went to Seattle. I was an assistant to a CEO of uh, an international company. How'd you end up in Seattle? I mean, I know you you obviously got a job there, but were you just applying at different places? Yeah, they relocated me up there. Okay. Um, and uh, and yoga, you were practicing yoga at this the point. The whole time. Yoga but you, weren't, was, you weren't teaching yet. Never. Okay, but um, you, you said you started practicing around 13. Yeah, so I went to my first class um, because I was in a pretty strict ballet school. and um, So you did come from the dance background. I did do dance, well. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I did hula and I did um, oh, right. ballet. Yeah. Um, and volleyball and tennis, basically. But... Um, I remember going into my first yoga class when I was 13 and Leanne, she still owns the studio, uh, in the hometown that I grew up in. What's the studio called? Oh gosh. I don't even, I I don't even remember, but Leanne, she still owns it. She's, she's older now, but, um, her class was so philosophical Yeah, and it was magical and I felt really safe in my body and I felt pushed, but I also felt just at ease. And it wasn't a place where, um, you know, my mom could put a little bit of pressure on me to be a better dancer or to, you know, you know, you're always trying to please your parents or middle school was kind of hard. Um, it was just a place where I felt like really safe. Hmm. And I remember she was so philosophical with her teachings. We were going into an arm balance and of course it was so intimidating and I couldn't do it, but it was so cool to watch her. And she told the story about how Ganesh like goes through the forest. And as she did, she swings her legs off to one side and takes her arm balance. And, and I'm like, I remember leaving there and telling my dad, I wanted to be a yoga teacher and my dad looking at me and, you know, rest in peace. But I say to him every day, like, look at me now, because he said, you'll never make it. That's not a career. It's a hobby. Like you're going to school you're going to college, like Hmm. you're not going to be a yoga teacher. Um, and he didn't mean that in like the negative way that I'm sure some people will listen to this and be like, Oh, well that's crappy. Um, you know, I kind of took it as like, okay, like I got to get an education. And then so many things led in life. And eventually I did my teacher training not to be a teacher just because I had gone through a really, really hard time. I had gotten really sick, um, a disease you might say, and I had something removed, major surgery, um, was started to give like major drugs. When was this? When I was 26. 
Okay, so mid-20s, you were dealing with some health stuff for sure. Yeah, when I was 25, I broke both of my elbows at the same time. They told me I'd never straighten my arms again. What were you doing? I slipped and fell at a grocery store, and I didn't sue. (laughs) Wow. I should have. (laughs) QFC in Seattle. (laughs) Wow. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but I just feel like whenever someone tells me I can't do something, I don't necessarily defiantly say, yes, I can. But it will eventually come back, and I hear the voice, and I'm like, I'm going to do it. So I got the sense that your dad's not around anymore. No, he died when I was uh, 24. So he never... Did he know that you became a yoga teacher? No. So now that he sees you as a yoga teacher, what what are his thoughts or what does he say to you? I think, you know, I know he's proud of me. I know he's around me all the time. I think my grandmother's actually with me more often than not, um, just because she's such a strong, independent woman. And I had some really big, like, self-worth issues just due to, like, dating bullshit guys. Sure. Um, and, uh, I think my dad's just happy to see me living my purpose and like healing people because I'm not just a yoga teacher. I'm a healer for sure. I feel that for sure. And it's one of those things that yoga has been a modality and a tool to really connect me to myself and remind me who I am in all stages of my life. Right. And of course my practice is going to be different from someone who picked up yoga when they were 25 or picked up yoga as a physical activity. Um, but that's sort of why, I mean, you know, I was really sick in my, based on listening to my podcast, I was really sick. It, my uh, rheumatoid arthritis came back again when I was 24 mm-hmm. and I, this was before Instagram. My therapist suggested I go to a yoga teacher and, you know, one of my guests was like, yoga, yoga doesn't heal. And I mean, I didn't disagree. I didn't want to get into that on the air. Sure. But I, in my situation, I actually felt like it did. And I do think yoga has the power to heal if, if in the right hands. Sure. And I get the sense that you had that experience and I get the sense that you want to share that experience with others. And I guess I got tired of the superficiality of yoga being portrayed because obviously they want to get eyeballs and that's our culture now because Mm -hmm. yoga does have this power in the right hands to heal. And I get that you had that experience. Yeah. But you healed or are healing still because yoga is in your hands and that's the gift that yoga is. You know, it's, it's not about the physical asana. It's not about, the meditation and how still you can make the mind or the postures you can put your body in. It's about becoming the witness and knowing that again, it's your choice. You life isn't happening to you. You're experiencing life. It's happening with you. Yeah. Right. And you're a co-creator in your own universe. And sometimes I don't feel like I have a choice. It's really weird. I talk about this one of my friends. Sometimes I feel like, I'm just in this stream and the world is just sort of guiding me mm-hmm. and I get a little lucky sometimes, but maybe I am subconsciously choosing, but sometimes I don't feel, I just feel like I'm open to what the world is going to give me. I, I, am I making any sense? No. And, and, and I agree 100%. I think that if you're a good person and you come from good intentions, you're going to go down a good path. 
you know, like shitty things might happen and you're going to grow stronger because again, you're not trying to, because you're coming from a good place. But I think once you realize that you have the power to actually make the paths, maybe I need to be more more confident. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's a lack of confidence that I'm not giving myself enough credit that I actually do have the power. And I feel like I'm, it's easy just to say, no, I don't. And I actually need to be more like, no fucking a, I actually do have more power than I'm giving myself credit for. Well, when you put your mind to something, when you, when you are like, you know what? I am going to write the book. Like I remember when you posted like, Oh, I'm going to write a book. And now you're like, Oh, I'm in my finishing stages. Like you did that. Yeah. So why can't I do this? Yeah, so the same but you prin- can, you can. Right. So the same principle should apply towards my mental um, attitude or perspective on life. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. That's basically what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, and this is comes into why visualizations are so powerful because if you think about um, athletes and visualizing, making the winning shot in front of so many people mm. or, you know, visualizing an audience naked so you get rid of your nerves or whatever, but regardless of how you're doing it, you're visualizing it. And so you're replaying it over and over in your head about what you want to happen. And when it comes time and the shot happens or you have to give up and you have to give up, get up and do that speech, you don't get the anxiety anymore because you've already done it. (laughs) And so you believe you can do it because you already have in your mind. And that is why your mind is your most powerful muscle. But your mind is not separate from your body. Your mind and your body are one because it's still a substantial, tangible thing. Your soul is what's different. And what moves the soul is the breath and the energy that moves through that breath, right? And that's why the breath is a foundation of yoga. But it's also that principle of being the witness, even if it's for those 60 minutes and you go outside and then after you're like, okay, life is happening to me again. But then you come back, hopefully the next time you leave your yoga class, you're going to maintain that centered state a little bit longer or know that you have the control to come back to it. Yeah. When you've gotten too far off course. But the breath is so important. And I use this analogy sometimes in class with like, um, if you're in a room with a bunch of smoke, the physical activity is the asana. So that would be like punching the smoke all around. Mm -hmm. What is that going to do? It's not going to get rid of the smoke, but it will exhaust you. Okay. Yeah. But opening a window is your breath. And that's actually what's going to get rid of the, the smoke. So sometimes you need to actually punch around in the smoke a little bit and get tired yeah. before you can sit there and breathe and be like, okay, I've had enough. Like when boys are young and they have a giant conflict, right? And they're fighting on the ground and after they're friends. Right. But what mindfulness does is with love and hate, and those are the two, or love and hate or love and fear. Love and fear. Are the two most raw emotions. And with mindfulness, those are the two that can be transmuted into the other. So if you're really mindful, you can transmute your love into hate or vice versa. That's how relationships start and end. You can love somebody and then hate them at the end because you've lost the mindfulness, the communication portion, right? Where you can't see eye to eye and respect the person because there's just so much water under the bridge that you can't forget and let go. Wow. I'm just like blown away right now. It's, I mean, but this is what yoga has done for me. You know, it's the self-work of the questioning and you're already doing it by like having your podcast, talking to many people that are going to change your mindsets, just like reading books, yeah. right? Because you're going to take this information that I'm giving you 
And it's either going to sit with you, you're going to listen to it later, or you're actually going to start looking up things like maybe the A432, you know? Well, that's, I mean, I, I have not forgotten about how we left off with you in your 20s, but that's why, I mean, I created the podcast for a few reasons, but underneath it all, I do think the way that we were, we connected was through conversation. Mm-hmm. And I've, I have conversations all the time, but to actually record them for two hours, it does add a deeper level of intimacy. And I have felt more connected to these people, and now you included, mm-hmm. and I have felt smarter and more aware and intelligent. And I, I guess I'm proving my point. You really get to know somebody on a deeper level by putting your phone away. Mm-hmm. And sitting down yeah. and talking to them. Now, obviously, everybody isn't going to be interesting. And I have picked people that, you know, I felt I wanted to know more. And I felt like they would be comfortable letting go and having a conversation. Because it is a little freaky to talk while it's recording. Mm-hmm. But you do reach a deeper level of connection than through Facebook or texts or um, Insta messages. Right. And that's ultimately what we want. We want deep connections. We want to, um, we gain strength and confidence and awareness mm-hmm. and we and understand ourselves better through the connections we make with others, I think. Right. And that's why the yoga community, the sangha, is so important. Like you guys... You, because when you're able to be vulnerable with others, you guys can put each other in check, mm. you know? And you'll notice, too, as you grow, like, which people in your community come and go and which stick around, which actually push you to grow more, and which ones cause you to have more toxic thoughts. And that's all part of the yoga experience as well. Because you're taking what you're doing on the mat and becoming more mindful Like, I know that there's definitely certain people that I work with or um, have to interact with or whatever that just being around them energetically makes me a little uptight or a little bit more on edge. And it's not anything that they're doing to me because ultimately everything is my suffering. It's just them being a trigger to Mm. whatever it is, right? Yeah. But... It's recognizing that they're triggering me and not reacting on them and being like, all right, when I hang out with this person, I end up leaving feeling pretty crappy about myself. So what are things that I need to do to pick myself back up? Or what can I do to protect myself from actually going down that dark space or allowing them to to do that, right? Yeah. Or, hey, when I hang out with certain people, they really motivate me. They inspire me. They make me want to do my own stuff. Yeah. Right? And sometimes those those decisions are hard. Like I recently, you know, like drinking wise, like there's a friend, you know, that you just can't stop drinking with, right? Like you go out and all of a sudden one drink leads to how many? And you're like, what the, how did this night happen? I'm 30 (laughs) some years old, right? Right. And then you have some friends that are just like so responsible that like, you feel like you never have their shit together. You never have your shit together next to them, right? Right. And it's just weighing out your your options and then deciding, just like in life with workloads and things like that, which ones you're going to drift to. 
But it's always a choice because if I keep choosing to go back to the ones that are making me do shitty behaviors or I keep choosing to go back to the teachers that are just kicking my ass instead of actually making me think a little bit more internally. Hmm. Sometimes I need the ass kicking because it's the ass kicking that makes me really judge myself. And like, why am I here? Why did I need this one today? I needed to release extra energy. Sure. Because I'm not releasing it in life a certain way or I'm I'm not facing a problem but when I want to be gentle and loving and kind to myself I can go to those same ass kicking classes and I'll just sit in child's pose or do whatever I need and no disrespect to the teacher again if that's a sweat class like no one's going to judge you but if you go to another teacher you might just say hey I might just need to have some space held today yeah like, I've definitely been one to just have a crappy day and go into a yoga studio and, and literally just need to hold child's pose. Just mm. needed to be in the energy of a grounding space. But you have to know which teacher you're going to, right? Yeah. How did you make... How did you end up in L.A.? And then how did you make the transition from corporate world, it feels like, in I was Seattle? Modeling. Yeah, I was modeling again when I came to L.A. Okay. I did the corporate world for like a year and a half. Okay, so what didn't last long, back to off. modeling. And then how did yeah. you get down to L.A. and then transition to becoming a teacher? I was in Hawaii. <laughs> Just on a vacation? or I was living in Hawaii, helping with some stuff and modeling bikinis. Okay. And, um, so after Seattle, you were in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um, I... Uh, came to LA because a friend was dating um a not great guy and she called me really scared and I was like I'm gonna pack up my suitcase of bikinis and hop on a plane and I only say that because it was really funny she picks me up in like a two-door convertible we couldn't fit my suitcase in her back trunk and so she opens it up to dump everything out and she looks at me and she goes you only brought bikinis <laughs> and i was like yeah i don't have any other clothes i came from hawaii right um i just found that funny about so it but you, you but i started modeling out here again i made that work i ended up what, staying you came to la with the intentions of moving or you came just to help your friend i came to help my friend knowing that i had wanted to live here at some point but okay i didn't really know if i liked la and my first two years in la i think i got the true la experience i lived with a meth head uh, I didn't, I wasn't aware she did meth. I yeah. just thought she was an artist and stayed up all night painting and then would sleep for three days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, yeah, I, I, I lived like that LA model life for sure. Um, a little different than like the New York LA, the New York model life. Um, I, for the first two years I kind of was back and forth a little and then, um, I don't think I actually fell in love with LA until three years ago when I moved to Santa Monica, but okay. I've been in LA for but like since I was 27 six. official, no, maybe 26. How long did you 26, start? 26. How long did you start teaching yoga? When I was 27. Oh, so, okay. So about six, seven years. Yeah. But and I would say I officially turned, I started teaching when I was like 28. 29 and you took some trainings in your 20s mm-hmm. yeah n- i mean again and none all to like become a teacher but it was a constant thing people would be like why are you not teaching yoga so what was the switch in your brain that was like okay i'm gonna give it a try um 
when I just saw how much people like people were like, no, Harper, I really like your class. And then I would go to classes that I felt like weren't that great. Yeah. And were a lot more physical. And um, I was like, okay, I can do this. But I started with prenatal. So I I worked with like just basically um, friends that were pregnant and I would do privates and things like that and get a lot more comfortable. Um, I mean, of course, I did classes before that. But my first like I would say real when I really started teaching yoga, I did a lot more breath work, which is funny to go right into prenatal. But the the prenatal energy is unlike any other because a woman like nurturing and creating life is just so more open and vulnerable and like there's multiple energies that are there and just to witness their experience is so magical and um and the breath is so important because they are having a baby in there right Right. um but then um then i started teaching out um my public classes came at muscle beach and that was i think i was 30 when i got those and that was interesting because Muscle Beach Yoga, yeah, that's like an oxymoron in itself. Well, this is you're bringing. So we talked about this before we got on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, yoga, and you teach at Sweat now mm-hmm. in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. You know, based on our culture, maybe based on advertising, getting eyeballs. Um, you know, Nicole was on a, a few weeks ago, and yoga is clearly going to this physical place where it's all about, you know, looking good, getting good abs, or I feel like Madonna sort of like started the trend in the nineties because everybody's like, where'd you get those arms from? And she said, yoga. Mm -hmm. And so of course everybody then wants to do yoga, but now it's gotten just, you know, more extreme and you have a depth to you and an awareness and you're, despite the fact that our culture is going to that place, you're and sweat yoga is very much and I know for people that are listening that don't sweat yoga is the name of a studio. So I'm not just saying you're like getting sweaty doing yoga. It's actually the name of a studio, but a lot of these studios now, Y seven, um, so many power yoga studios out here. It's all about the physical, but you still hold on to that spiritual aspect of it. And you don't seem to be that interested in, adding more physical, it feels like you're about trying to bring more of the spiritual. For sure. I mean, the physical is important. It's your vessel, right? It's your temple. If, if you can't, if you can't get around, um, you know, comfortably, you're going to be uncomfortable in your mind. It's going to be a lot harder to start to get more centered. Sure. Um, and I'm not saying that in a sense that if you're a bigger person or something like that, then you can't like meditate like that. I don't want to take it into like a wrong wording there. Um, I just think that if you have diseases in your body in general, it's, it's definitely going to be harder for the mind stuff to, to happen and to really like get back down to core. But I mean, I don't think you have to add in like dynamic fitness moves in order to make the yoga practice harder. Um, I mean, I grew up doing like a Hatha practice with warming up with the sun salutations. And then 
you know, we'd hold poses for five, eight, nine, ten breaths, and then we'd change. And when the teacher stacked on one side, like five poses, and your thigh was literally burning and yeah. shaking, that was your mental challenge right there, well, really, staying with your breath. And this is why I get a little frustrated with what's going on with yoga, because what's instead of being like you and resisting the shift in our culture, mm-hmm. it's mirroring what's going on in our culture. And because we're becoming ADD, because we can't focus on anything, the yoga in all these studios, it's like it's becoming flashy and fast and quick. And what we actually need it to be, we need, we need people to be able to just sit still in Warrior Two mm-hmm. or Triangle Pose for two minutes. Not because it may make you stronger, but because it's actually going to train the brain to get more comfortable sitting still. And for some reason, yoga is not resisting the shift. It's sort of almost like playing right along with it by becoming... Right. Well, and that's also why when I started teaching at Sweat, I was teaching the yin classes. And that's why I started teaching the yin practice to begin with, because it's based off of Chinese medicine, the Taoism, and the, your meridians. So it's targeting different muscles and that hold different organs and emotions in your bodies linked off of um, different elements. Yeah. Just like if you went to an acupuncturist and you said, target my stomach spleen meridian. If you're sitting there and you have tight outer hips, I might ask you if you've ever had any lung issues. And again, that could be a quote unquote tarot card question. But at the same, and I say that my friends will make fun of me in saying like when I ask a generic question, like, oh, if the right side of your body's hurting, do you have a male in your life that's hurting you? You know what I mean? Like if it's a general question that you can kind of like feed the answer off of like maybe leading into something else. But, um, So I think that's where it's important as a teacher to hold the space for the people that need to move fast right now, Mm -hmm. but also can also move slow. So um, I try not to add in too many of like bicycles into my class, for example, because I don't feel like I did bicycles in any yoga classes growing up. Like yoga bicycles? Maybe yoga bicycle, sure, because that's adding a little bit more core, but like traditional, I don't know. I never really did that stuff. I did like boat yeah. pose and we'd hold or we'd be holding our plank and um, doing different leg variations, holding plank. Right. I mean, just holding plank in itself is hard enough to actually push through and puff up your back shoulders, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but taking those traditional or or creating those dynamic movements between like Warrior two, extended side angle, reverse, right? You're still holding a pose and you can show them, okay, let's go a little slower. And if you want to go faster, do that, right? But holding the space for the people that truly, you don't know where they've been. You don't know what their day's been like. You don't know why they're coming to the class. And some days, the people that come to class for more mindful stuff might Mm -hmm. actually come to class to get their butt kicked. Because they just need it that day. Well, was it difficult for you to sort of make that transition at sweat where it is more physical based? And, and how are you, how have you found your way to fit in there? Yeah. Uh, sweat, I had to let go of ego a lot because um, usually at most studios, when you say jump, people 
ask how high in the sense of like what you're teaching. They're not really, I need something different today. They might drop for a child's pose, but you're not going to say, um, you know, Cobra pose and someone stand up in the middle of class and be doing Ardha Chandrasana. Like, right. Right. Like a balanced pose on one. I had a class like that, you know, and I, my ego got to the best of me and I literally was like, we're going to wait until everyone drops to child's pose. And you could, you, you could feel like it a little uncomfortable because that was me asserting my power and my dominance. But really that was just my ego going, neat, 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 I'm more important, which I wasn't. It yeah, was but still, so you actually struggled because it, it was seen... disrespectful for sure. What she was doing was disrespectful. But you wanted but the class. But that's not my job but to wait, put her in her place. What was disrespectful that you were asking the class to do child's pose and she was doing something completely different, right? In the middle of the room. Yeah, sure. But that's what she needed that day, and had nothing to do with I me. Mean, we can talk about that's the thing. You know what about... I mean? So sweat has put me in place as far as ego goes. Yeah, and to know that like. The way I see yoga is not the only way that others see yoga. And the meditation that happens at sweat is completely different than in a cold studio or in a more traditional class. Um, when you're practicing in a dark room, you in the heat mm-hmm. with music that's distracting in a certain sense or maybe adding to your experience. Right. In my case, I used to practice with ant, like nature sounds and no music at all. So any music was distracting for me in a yoga class. That's yeah. just how I grew up. I used to love practicing without music or to literally nature sounds. I do think, though, this sort of yoga attitude about everything being okay and like that's your experience or that's that per- like that person holding handstand while the rest of the room is holding child's pose. You know, we are so cautious now to play to to say, "Hey, that you shouldn't be doing that," or like everything goes, everything's okay, and I don't think everything is okay. We just don't know how to communicate in a way that's that isn't going to be that some isn't going to offend somebody. Well, right, and then you have to find the studios that cater to that because there are definitely studios that are going to be more traditional, right. But then there's also, you know, I see yoga teachers over at Yoga Works that have their cameras and phones on in class taking their videos of their yes. TikToks, right? Yeah. And they're like teachers that people respect. Yeah. And I'm like, time out. Does anyone not realize they have their phone in a class right now? Like to me, why why would that happen? Well, it, it always annoyed me when a yoga teacher would post stories while their class is going on because they want to show that like their room is full or something. And I, and again, I get that they're sort of quote unquote advertising, but I just, there has to be another way than to post Instagram stories while the class is actually going on. The Shavasana ones. Yes. And I have been guilty of that one. And, um, but I always make sure that there's words over the page, right? Mm -hmm. Because to me, it's more or less about the energy, like sharing that like everyone just literally surrendered together. But yes, there are definitely more about like, look how full my class was, this and that. And and it kind of goes back to what you said about, you know, Aloe um, showing the cultivating, you know, the photos of the community coming together. And I was like, oh, that gets a little tricky. Because yeah, you're showing people in a vulnerable state. Yeah, that's fair. And they're unaware 
Or they might be aware. They might come to your class because they're hoping to get on your Instagram because you know there's people doing that too, right? Which again, doesn't, doesn't make it, you know, more yoga, but I think it also, you always have to look at why people are doing things, you know, and maybe you don't know the answer, but it usually has nothing to do with you. And so if they're handstanding in the middle of class, they're either suffering or their ego needs to be fed, or maybe they just really need to take that handstand right now. And this is the first hand that stand they've ever taken that's lasted more than 10 seconds, and they're going to ride it until it falls down. Right. You don't know. You don't know. There's definitely the people that go in and showboat, and you're aware of them, and everybody's aware of them. But I do think like the meditation that happens at sweat can be kind of magical with like just being able to move in the darkness to your own body. The sweat practice in general has strengthened my cold yoga practice because if you're able to do stuff in the dark, in the heat, dripping sweat, you know your bondas are in check, you know, because yeah. you can definitely do it without. I've had some great classes at sweat. I mean, I've had classes there where I'm not quite sure that it was a fantastic class, but I've had shitty classes at yoga works. I mean, every studio has bad teachers and every studio has great teachers. It's just, I don't think I could go. I don't think I could take a sweat class every day, once a week. You know, I couldn't go to, I used to go to yoga works six times a week, but I burnt out. I just, now I go like once a week. It just, I think, I think, I think it's important to keep changing it up. Right. I couldn't imagine going to a sweat class every day. I just, I don't know. I don't think that would, but maybe, maybe that feels good for somebody else. Right. But you even in what you were saying, you know, you said like you burnt out and you used to do six classes and then now you're not. Right. And maybe in another month you're going to be back at eight classes, You, you know? And I think that's the cool thing is I've been practicing since I was 13, but that doesn't mean I've been religiously in the yoga studio every single day. Right. I will say since 27, I've been pretty much consistently doing an everyday yoga practice and meditation. But before 27, there were months, maybe two, there was probably no more than three months I went without doing a yoga class, but there were definitely times. And I notice that the times that I didn't do the classes I needed was usually because I was avoiding myself. Yeah. Like I was in a shitty relationship being abused and like, I didn't want to sit there and go in and go, Hey Harper, what you fucking doing? You know, like, why are you doing this? I want to ask you, I want to move on mm-hmm. to meditation and hypnotherapy, but I'm going to ask a question and I've just, I wasn't planning on asking this, but I'm curious about your thoughts and somehow I got inspired to ask you. It's kind of personal it feels like there's a common theme with models or attractive women getting involved with men that end up not treating them very well. Sure. And in your experience, and you don't have to share that much, and I wasn't planning to even ask this, but in your experience, or based on what you know, why why is that happening? Or why did that happen to you? Or why does that happen in our culture? I mean, this is the question my mom asks me all the time. Okay. Um, I'm not trying she's, to be... No, she's all like, I raised... We, you were in such a loving family. Why yeah, you and you were so smart. Guys? And you're so 
aware and intellectual, and I'm really in awe of of your knowledge. And yet, so, but despite (laughs) these amazing things, it feels like some bad men have gotten into your life. Yeah. And they 100% made me who I am. And as much as there's been times I've cursed their names, like I'm super grateful that they all taught me the lessons that they did. Um, and there's not that many, but, um, my high school boyfriend, he was, um, he was an athlete and he had, you know, alcohol and drug issues. But when we were so young that like, we weren't aware of that. And so it carried out into just like a very abusive manner. And it was such a young, naive love that like, I kind of based all the rest of my relationships off of that one, which was a bad choice in hindsight because I did have a really great example from my parents, but it made me feel like, um, you know, he cheated on me a bunch. And so it made me feel like I needed to compromise who I was to be more like the girls he cheated on me with. Hmm. Right. Even though I knew I was comfortable in who I was, but he was the person I loved and he made me feel not worthy of like his attention. And so it almost made it like more of a, what can I do to kind of get his attention? And that might be something that other girls do when you kind of get treated. Like you're not getting all the attention that like all the other guys, cause all the good guys, they give you all the attention that you want when you need it. Like, right. because they're good guys and they're not fucking other girls. Yeah. Um, or trying to play mind games with you to like belittle you and tear you down. So that way they can control you. Um, but ultimately alcoholics are narcissists. Like, and, and I think that's a pretty common theme mm-hmm. in the sense that like they have a little bit of, um, you know, they're very selfish and, or any kind of drug addict is very selfish because you're coming from a mindset of like, um, what can you get or how can you get your next fix, whether it's that drug or whatever else. And, so narcissists can be very dangerous dangerous and like cutting people down because like when you love someone like that, you'll never feel worthy because th- only they're worthy. But what's interesting to me though, and this is why I think the beauty aspect of Instagram, you know, I, I, it just, you're so smart and pretty and yet, and a lot of people are like that on Instagram but somehow they get connected. Somehow I feel like there is an insecurity that. For sure. Go, that, so despite the amazing looks, it's funny how underneath that, and, that, and that's why. It comes bring, back to self-love. But that's why I bring it back to like Instagram. And although all these beautiful images are popping up everywhere, I just, I get the sense that this actually comes from insecurity more than security. Yeah. I mean, you can be the prettiest person in the world externally, but that doesn't mean your insides are good. Right. You know, and, and, and the external stuff is the easy, easy things to fake. Yeah. You know, you fake it until you make it. You can really hide external confidence. I'm and I'm actually an introvert. Like people wouldn't realize that because I handle myself in public. I can 100% visualize. (laughs) I used to do when I was in middle school, I was in the optimist club, meaning that (laughs) I would go around and give speeches on how to be optimistic. Like that's what kind of weirdo I was. (laughs) And it was weird. Believe me, I have medals that are like you won. (laughs) The most optimistic. But you know, 
I could visualize, like I could visualize talking in front of people and then I would do it. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I just think that, yeah, all, all abuse comes from insecurities. And, and usually if you're, you're seeking external validation, it's because you're looking for a hit of like, like you read that dope, that dopamine or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to lie. If you post a photo and I think it's a really good or really impressive photo. I'm always surprised at which photos get the more most likes. Sure. Because like if I don't post a picture of my face for a while and then I do, like it's definitely getting way more likes than any complicated yoga pose I'm doing. Because yeah. pe- it's like people are, forget they're like, oh shit, she's pretty, you know? Yeah. Like, but then I can I can post something that I think is really impressive that I've worked hard at, or write a really long caption that is so vulnerable and heartfelt, and then the comments are like, you're pretty. <laughs> Or like your goals. And I always feel like I try to write back, like I've been working at this for a long time. And what are, what are those goals? Like, because you don't want to be me. You might have a goal that like you want to do something, but even if we went to the same exact schooling and we got the same grades and we got the same job, you're a different person. You're going to do a different job than I am. And so why compare yourself? And yeah, that's what Instagram does. But if you can change your perspective and look at it as like, okay, wow, that person's suffering or okay, wow, that one's really inspiring. And, And I think it defines your way of what's inspiring because you can go on Instagram and look at those photos that are cultivated and be like, those don't inspire me. Well, then start looking at the different photos that do, right? Like any of those food food photos, those don't inspire me. You know, sometimes I'm like, why are you taking pictures of your food all the time? Right. Like, I don't need to see everything you eat. It's gotten to the point where the only thing that inspires me is when I see people that have these like workout videos that look really in shape. That's the only thing that's inspiring me right now. Nothing isn't really inspiring me on Instagram. Well, what I love personally is my degree is in dietetics, like I actually have a degree in clinical dietitian. Like as a clinical dietitian, I sat for my RD exam. It's not current anymore because it expires. Mm-hmm. But like I learned how to calculate tube feedings for burn patients. You know, like so I definitely know how to do diets for people. Um but I love when people take like one nutrition class or they've become vegan for like 2 years. And again, I'm going to offend somebody by this because I have plenty of friends that do this. Mm-hmm. But now they're giving like vegan blogs and vegan advice and all these things. And I'm like, mm, okay. Okay. You know, there's that. What made you the expert? Right. Because here I am sitting on information and knowledge and I don't even feel worthy enough to be sitting here like giving that. And I've got a degree in it. But all of a sudden now you're writing cookbooks Right. Well, you know, but again, yeah, but that's what is what? Because who's going to be attracted to that? I've got to let that happen. You can't control it. Well, Instagram has, we'll end the segment with this. And then mm-hmm. Instagram has tricked our brains. We don't know who an expert is anymore. Right. Anybody could be a so-called expert because they can manipulate photos or appear to be an expert. And I will say to close this segment, I will be interested to see how your Instagram evolves because there's 
there's something inspiring. Your your story, what you're doing, the things you say on Instagram are inspiring, but there's even more to you than that. Like your knowledge, your experience. And I'm going to be curious to see how you can tap into that. Right. Do you know do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because anyone who comes to a yoga class would look at me differently than like what my Instagram is, for sure. Totally. And I'm sure you're the same way. Well, yeah, people like talk they're like, "Oh my god, I had no idea that you were like this." Because I mean, I'm just sort of a smart ass on Instagram and I mm-hmm. like promote um gigs and that's about it cuz I don't like know you're a DJ. Yeah. I would have had no idea. Yeah. You're like Batman, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know how to how to do it and stay authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz I'm kind of just like trying shit out and I'm creative and I'm right. thinking a lot and it's just sort of a place to be creative. I probably could do more, but I don't know how to do it without looking like an idiot and be authentic. And yeah, make it look too cultivated. Yeah. Right. I want to end the last segment with something that I really don't know too much about at all. But I guess it does connect to meditation, mindfulness, and it's the practice of hypnotherapy, mm-hmm. which you also do. Yeah, hypnosis. Hip- so, I'm, I'm a hypnotist. <laughs> so actually... I'm, you are getting I'm very sleepy. sleepy. <laughs> so I don't know anything other than like maybe the movies or, or what sure. I've read. So how did you get into that? Explain it to me. And and how are you putting that in, into your practice or, or helping people? Well, you know that if you actually go and look up um, hypnotherapy books um, or books on hypnosis, a lot of times it's in the cult section. Right. Um, original hypnotists were like shamans, actually. Um, and hypnosis has been used in so many ways for like treating pain, um, giving birth, um, and, and different healing uh, ailments. And with yoga and hypnosis, I will say this one like general statement that everybody has the ability to heal themselves literally every body, your body does. Your body has the ability to heal itself. And I'm not saying that if you break your bone, like you're, if you will it, your bone's going to come back together. I mean, like on a basic level, if you are treating your body truly like a temple and you're eating sustainable foods that are, you know, um, farm to fresh kind of thing, you're living mindfully. You're not feeding your mind so many toxic thoughts like comparing yourself on Instagram. Um, but so hypnotherapy is, um, I I like to say relaxing to awaken. Okay. Um, and it's a lot like meditation, but in a, on a deeper scale. Um, how do you get deeper than meditation? Well, so meditation for the most part, I believe that a lot of people are practicing mindfulness techniques. They're not actually meditating. Okay. Right. And so meditating is truly like once you've been doing it for, or you're, you're, it's like that snowball effect. And then you can hit that state of bliss for a few seconds, a minute, but otherwise you're playing the game of, okay, there's that thought. Come Hmm. back to, okay, my belly. Okay. Oh, I got to do it. 
you know, like it's that constant finding the balance of the thoughts and just becoming aware and, and, and letting it go and, and maybe catching those few brief minutes. Right. But brainwave wise, essentially you're in alpha brainwaves for most of meditation. Unless you have a long time practice or you're really skilled and like you can snowball that energy into a longer state. But in hypnosis, um, as you fall asleep, it's a lot like a sensory deprivation and floating. And I say that only because that's essentially how I ended up getting into hypnotherapy. Um, I was a managing a yoga studio and I helped the CEO of yoga works introduced me to this guy who opened, I opened pause float studio, the okay. sensory deprivation. So my voice uncredited, <laughs> but is in pause float studio. It's the intro and exit track. And then I recorded a 10 minute guided meditation, basically a Shavasana mm-hmm. to lead people into stillness. And I found that floating was really important because you lay in like 10 to 11 inches of water saturated with 1100 pounds of Epsom salts and the water is body temperatured. So it's like 95 degrees. The outside temperature feels like a really warm bath, but it's super salt saturated. So you lay back in this thing and you're effortlessly floating. Sometimes it's hard to let go of your neck because you don't want to let your head go under, Hmm. but you won't. And the magical thing that about the salts is it was made for PTSD, but essentially, um, it does a lot of physical benefits as well, but it allows your brain to kind of flat wave or flat line on theta brainwaves as you fall asleep in this float pod. Okay. And what's magical about theta brainwaves is it's the only brainwave in which your mind is at rest. So this is deeper than the alpha waves? Yeah. Okay. So like you have beta, alpha, delta is when you're sleeping, you have like your REM sleep. Um, but in like when you're sleeping in delta... Your body's at rest, but your mind isn't. It's very active, like you're dreaming. But the where hypnotherapy kind of like gets its um, mind control or like demonic kind of um, impressions mm-hmm. is that sometimes when people go into hypnosis or drop into the theta brainwave, they can go into like a REM state. And so their eyes might flicker okay. and like they might open a little bit and they might look like they're rolling up into the, the head. So it looks like the person's possessed. Okay. Right. And yeah. so that's why. And then when you can convince people to do things like be a chicken, you know, it's, um, it can be really deceiving, but essentially I would never be able to convince you to do something that you wouldn't do naturally. So mm. if like you get drunk and like show off your booty, I could totally get you to get up on a table and sh- dance around and wiggle your butt. Right. But I wouldn't get you to shoot your girlfriend. Right. Okay. Like you you would wake up and be like, that's not my internal voice. Interesting. But I'm essentially using my voice and like my breath and the tones of my voice to allow your mind to relax and flatline on theta. So you're not falling completely asleep, but you're listening and drawing your awareness to my voice and you're holding on to it while you completely relax and surrender. I like how you sort of change the tone of your voice. So how, why is this important for some people or how have you helped, like what have you helped people get through by practicing hypnotherapy? Well, it's important because it would be like me telling you, I don't need to poop or I don't need to sleep. My body never needs rest. You would look at me and be like, that's not true. Right. 
Well, your mind also needs rest. Hmm. And if it doesn't, you're going to get more anxieties. You know, it's so easy. We've created this culture of fast, quick, and easy to have these distractions, all these screens, everything around you. It's the turning in that most people think is scary. And I realized that just by opening up a float studio, because at a float studio, um, like people were afraid to go in and close it down. Like they were going into a coffin. It's like afraid of death. And I'm like, what's going to happen to you in there? Like it's infinite possibilities. It's just you and your breath and your body. What's special about it is when your mind is in theta brainwaves, because your mind is at rest, brain energy is able to go back into your body and start healing different ailments. And so when you float, it's the longest time you can hold theta. If you actually relax and fall asleep in there, mm-hmm. you're not really asleep. Like you're flatlining and you're help healing yourself. But also the salts are doing tricks on the body, like detoxing, helping release inflammations, um, accelerating like blood flow circulation, releasing serotonin. So you're coming out feeling like a physical reset. Are you actually talking to people while they're floating? So this is how I was found as far as hypnosis. When I recorded the 10 minute meditation, um, a world-renowned hypnotherapist came in and heard my voice, and he was like, <laughs> dude, who did that? Yeah. Like, and I was like, me, I'm doing meditations. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, what you're doing is hypnosis. And so once I started learning about it, basically, I'm just guiding you to a place. And then your mind starts believing that I'm, you trust me, that I'm your mind. Yeah. Or that I'm your internal voice. And so you surrender the body, but you're still completely conscious. And that's what makes it special is that your mind is relaxed. So you're able to relax deeper into your body, but you're still completely conscious. And so you're able to communicate with your subconscious on a completely different level without the ego, without the id, without all the masks that you wear on an everyday basis. And, you know, I was trained in past life regression, um, deep relaxation, right? And so regardless of if you believe in multiple life spaces or if you only believe in one, the stuff that's coming up from the subconscious is healing messages that need to come up. Yeah. And whether or not you believe it's from another life or you believe it's generational or you believe it's a story that maybe the subconscious is trying to tell you, it's usually dealing with live out your purpose, love more, family is important, um, trust people. You know, there, no one ever really comes back as like Cleopatra or like someone great, but like you always come back in a life space or, um, you always move to a message. And again, this doesn't have to be past life regression. It could just be in your relaxation Mm -hmm. where you're able to truly be honest with yourself and you're completely relaxed and comfortable in your body. And so you're like, the mind is not a scary place. It's not, but it's just like the yoga practice because when you get on the mat, you're exploring your body. You're getting to know it better. Yeah. So that way you can move in a more functional way or you can take up a sport in a different way. You can be more flexible to go into the athletic, the running, the cycling, the whatever yang practice that you do. And that's why I say yoga, again, is not always about the physical asana. When I go to a teacher that's too much about joint mobility and movement, Mm -hmm. that's not the yoga class I want. Personally, that's not what I'm going for. It calls to some people, and maybe through that class, those people will also start to come to maybe classes that I teach a Mm -hmm. little bit more of or more mindfulness classes. But 
all rivers do lead to the ocean. And if something is making you a little bit more mindful in your mind and your body, I really can't diss it. Yeah. Even if it it's a physical practice and it's a westernized yoga that's kicking your butt. You know, eventually you're going to go to one of those classes and you're going to get one teacher that hits a string and you're going to go, oh my gosh, I've never heard that before. Hmm. You have, you've heard it many times, but you weren't ready for it. Right. And maybe that time will be in my class. Maybe it will be in yours. Maybe it will be in someone else's class that isn't even teaching a mindful class, but something just hits them and they're like, holy crap. And maybe it, it it's in a completely spiritual class, but that's why I start to bring in the, the hypnosis and the visualizations into more of like the yin classes, or if I can put it into a Shavasana, sure. because I want people to realize that they're in control and they can let go of their mind and they can relax. It's so amazing hearing that because I've been really struggling with that recently. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm in control of this spiral of the negative thoughts, um, decisions, things I want. Right. I sometimes don't feel like I can control that, but you're giving me faith and hope that I can. It just takes a lot of practice. Yeah, and and preparation. You know, it's like the negative thoughts are the rain clouds, and that's such an overused analogy. But to me, what that says is, I'm not going to stay inside because the negative thoughts are happening because I see a few rain clouds. I'm going to grab my umbrella, get a rain jacket, and I might be overprepared, but I'm still going out. Right. But at least I'm ready. And I have the tools to manipulate the rain so it's not on top of me. And some days I get caught in the rain and I wasn't aware it was going to rain. And guess what? I've got to dance in it then, right? Yeah. Those gay little sayings that are just true happiness and are completely overused, but... Again, they they have real meaning because if you sit there and you sit and you're like, oh, the rain happened to me, you're going to be suffering for a lot longer than you need to be. Yeah. And you hold those emotions in your body. And through any kind of physical activity, you're helping to sweep the cobwebs clean and release them. And that's why crying can happen through hip openers. And you're like, why? You know, it's it's. If they're at least moving in their joints and releasing, they're sweeping some stuff clean. They're they're shaking some things. They're moving some shit. Yeah. You know? And and hopefully they're doing it in a safe way with a safe teacher. Right. And if they're if they're not, you know, hopefully they learn their lesson and they start to pick out the teachers that make them leave feeling a little bit better in their body. Yeah. As opposed to like giving them sequences that are like, what? But I think the more you awaken, the more you'll start to question and start going to the teachers that call to you. Yeah. But the beautiful thing about vibrating higher is that like you can relate to the suffering, but the suffering, they can't relate to the higher vibrations. They're just not going to see it. Hmm. And in there lies ignorance. And so you can't control that downward spiral of the ignorant. You can hope to shed light right? and keep shedding the light. And maybe one day that moth will see your flame. But in a weird sort of way, that's why I posted all those, not a weird sort of way. That's why I post all those quotes. I I love it. Because I'm hoping that 
it gets people to prioritize what's truly important in our lives because we are prioritizing things that don't really matter. Yeah. And I know people, some people are offended by what I do, but it's coming from, and I probably don't say this enough, but it's coming from a place of exactly what you're saying. I think our brains are um, prioritizing the wrong things. Yeah. And we need a shift in our culture. Yeah. And anyone who's getting offended by your stuff, like that's their shit. Yeah. Because anyone who knows you is not going to be offended. Like, you know, I might not post things like that, but I definitely appreciate what you do post. And sometimes there's things you post and I'm like, really, Eddie? (laughs) But like at the same time, there's, there's truth to it. Just like every stereotype or every, you know, whatever it's there. And like, you've awoken me on like, I'm still a part of that Instagram message. So how can I truly use my voice in a different way as opposed to just being like another body posting something with a quote, right? Yeah. And I guess we'll end it with this. How did it become the thing that yoga teachers need to always inspire? Or it seems like we know the answers. Why is that? Who who started that? Or why is that? Why are we not real human beings on Instagram? Well, because gurus were always so centered and like at peace. But most of us aren't, and that's well, no, okay. Because, I mean, most people go through a 200-hour training, and they're like, I'm good to go. Yeah, like, it's such but, bullshit. But I'm like, wait a minute. Where's your biceps for Morris? You know what I mean? Like, And again, you don't have to know every single bone and muscle in your body. Like, That's right. not what I'm saying. You're not a doctor. Right. But therein lies another problem. Because people think they're so elevated, then they start giving advice. Yes. Right? And I'm like, you have no... You can't give that kind of advice because you're not a doctor. And when people come to me telling me their ailments, I'm like, that's good. You know your body. I'm going to be mindful, but like, I'm not going to completely resequence for your body. But that's the thing. People do come up to me sometimes as though I'm a doctor. And I think I know a lot based on, based on just my experiences with health and, and me Googling a shit ton of stuff to become more knowledgeable. But I'm not a doctor. And there is this sort of elevated stance that people look up to yoga teachers. And I do feel like yoga teachers are taking advantage of that by posting all this insane stuff on, on Instagram. And I don't know why we um, perpetuate it. I think if there's I mean, a soapbox, there's always going to be people that get up on it and think that their voice is more powerful than others. Yeah. You know? But the message can get across just as quickly by someone being in the audience going around and like talking to people too. Yeah. It's just about how you want to portray your message and like what you're ready for. Well, when I see yoga teachers constantly perpetuating and showing off some sort of message all the time, mm-hmm. I don't, I think it's actually, it's somehow creating more bad than good. And I can't prove that, but it's somehow feeding into the person's ego. And then it's making somebody feel bad because, oh, this person's 35. They have everything figured out. Right. But I don't think it's just yoga teachers. I think it's all across the board. But I don't see people doing that other than yoga teachers. Like, why are yoga teachers always trying to portray that they have life figured out? I don't understand it. I think it's maybe a stereotype that they feel like they need it. Like personally, 
I think the more crap I go through, I'm like, okay, now I'm learning more. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely learning more. I like to confidently portray the things I'm learning or recite things I've read in books in class. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm saying 100% I got that one right. Yeah. But I, I would hope that people who are taking my classes know that that's not me saying I'm perfect. Well, I but maybe do, that should be said more. You know? I do sense a vulnerability in your Instagram and when I'm around you. And you do ooze confidence, but you also um, are willing to share that you're still figuring all this stuff out and trying to make sense of it all and also be respectful individually to everybody else in your process. Right. I mean, I think compassion, compassion always, you know, if we all showed each other a little bit more compassion, where would our world be? Yeah. And I don't mean that in like a, a dreamy utopia kind of way. Totally. Yeah. I didn't, but, but I mean, you know, compassion for having different viewpoints, compassion for having different yoga practices, compassion for working for different brands. Right. And compassion for knowing that we're all literally just trying to survive. Yeah. I mean, I live by myself in an apartment in Santa Monica. Like there's definitely some things I've had to compromise, but knowing what things I don't and I'm not going to compromise have like, it's been a process. Yeah. You know, and that's all a part of the work. And every person I've met, every experience, every crappy and good class I've been to, and every shitty and amazing relationship I've had has helped to shape and, and awaken me in that way. But again, I have to always be compassionate to myself. And hopefully people around me will be compassionate too. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you've got it figured out at that point, as long as you're compassionate. But yeah, you're right. There, there is definitely an issue there. For sure. I agree with you. Well, finally, you agree with me about something. <laughs> well, obviously, I could talk to you for a long time, and we already have. So, um, Thank you. I just really appreciate you coming on the show in a huge way. I, I feel, I, I'm, and I'm obviously thinking like, huh, could I be doing things differently? Could I be more compassionate? And my intention isn't to come across as being negative, I just want us to be more aware of what we're doing with our free time, with how we're using these platforms, who we're paying attention to, who we're giving credit to, why are we elevating certain people when they might be the wrong people to be elevating. And you um, should be somebody who should be admired and elevated because you're really, truly living in a deep, passionate, sensitive um, admirable way. And at least that's the vibe that I'm getting. And I felt that way when I was witnessing your classes a couple years ago as the DJ, not even taking your class. And then a year later, I see you at sweat and I start taking your classes there and everything that I had thought that I would experience, not just as the DJ in your class, but actually taking your class was realized. And it's, it was a beautiful thing to be a part of. And then you've been my friend and you've helped me and you've given me advice and, and now to have you on the show and, um, disconnect 
on an even deeper level has been really awesome. And it means a lot that you took all this time to come here and talk to me and be a part of this journey. Cause I'm these questions that I'm asking for other people to think about, obviously I think about all the time. So um, I'm a part of the process and I think and we're getting lost in sort of minutia. And I, I, I think the conversation is a great way to remind us of what's important. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. And I'm super grateful and I'm super proud of you because you're growing doing this and you're helping other people grow, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the best thing that you can ask for in relationships. Totally. Growth, expansion. So thank you. Thank you. Well, um, thanks so much for um, being a part of the show For and thanks um, for the listeners for listening. I think we just set the record for the world's longest show on my, <laughs> on my podcast. So it'll be, it's the last podcast of the year. Um, I'll end by saying happy holidays and happy new year. And I'm so stoked that you guys have all been listening. I've had amazing people on the show and you make my, my interview quote unquote job so much easier because you Harper are just really freaking interesting and cool. Oh, people need to follow you. It's so Hesper yoga on Instagram. Yeah. Hesper means evening star or Venus. Venus is the only female named planet. I knew there was something to and it. Venus is the uh, the goddess of heaven uh, for the Romans. So, yeah. so you can take her class at Aloe mm-hmm. Yoga in Beverly Hills. Yeah, just look on Aloe Yoga. Yeah, I'm, she's at, I'm at all the locations, all, and she's and also sweat. in Sweat Yoga in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. You can find her on Instagram. She can do private classes as well, or private sessions. She can hypnotize you. Um, You've listened to her voice for the last like two and a half hours. (laughs) So obviously she knows what she's talking about. Um, So she's the real deal. Definitely follow her or check her out. Um, Because as you can tell just by me talking to her, that she's really inspiring and really insightful and really aware and really conscious. And um, you're a healer. Thank you. Yeah. Well, beautiful way to end the year. And thanks again for listening. Thanks for coming on the show, Harper. Thank you. And um, I'll see you in 2019.